You're listening to audio from the Decidedly Podcast. For more information, find us on Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. So you know how you were telling me the other day you had to get a massage and it made you uncomfortable because you had to get in a position that made you feel vulnerable, let's yeah, say? Yeah, Okay. So I, I had to go in. I, I told you I, I'm going for my annual exam and yeah. they found something that they needed to explore. So they send you to a, okay. a I don't want to get too detailed with it because this, this story is going to go, go south you. quick okay. already on its own. And so... I have to, you have to go to another doctor. She sends me to somebody else. So they have to, as part of this process, I got to get an MRI. Okay. And it's in my abdomen. Then they have to, they see something in the the bladder and they like need to scope the bladder, he says. And he says, it'll be a little uncomfortable. I said, what do you, what do you mean scope the bladder? He goes, well, we just put, we put a scope up there and, you know, we kind of look around, make sure everything's okay. I was like, oh, and I ask a few more questions and they get into the bladder exactly the way you think they are. Mm. And they go up the exit ramp. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. The understatement of the year was you're going to feel a little bit of discomfort. Oh. And so and when you say go up the exit ramp, that is, that is imagine like a river has for the life of this river has only gone one, gone one direction. And then if it were a way to you just like turn and go the other direction, all kinds of chaos would ensue. Mm-hmm. It, that's that's how it felt. So they're scoping the bladder by putting this camera up the off ramp, and it's about the size of a pencil. <sighs> yeah, and so they're they're doing this, and he <laughs> he leaves, and he says, "All right, so you have to you have to get ready." And they put this sheet over you with a hole in it. <laughs> it's so. And so you're laying on the table oh with a with a sh- with a sheet on you with it with a hole in it. And oh, by the way, mom comes. Was the hole the size of the pencil too. So I I could not keep mom out of the room because. She wanted to see this. And so she's very intrigued. She's, she's loving every minute of this. And the doctor says, all right, you know, so the nurse will come in and she'll rub a little deadener on, on it. And, uh, you know, that'll deaden the area and it'll be fine. I'm like, oh, okay. So this, this will be nice. <laughs> so it's so, and also it'll be deadened. So it won't, it won't hurt. <laughs> so. And so the the nurse comes in and with the with the deadening gel, you know, and I'm like, uh-huh. oh, you know, this this won't be so bad. And it's, it's a nurse is looking like a weightlifter, let's say. <laughs> it's <laughs> so and and what I thought she was gonna do was rub this deadening gel on the on the area, let's say. Yeah. Uh that's not what she does. She squirts it. Like turkey base it up turkey base it up the off ramp, right? All right, yeah, it's going against the stream, and you've never had that experience before. No, in your life, you've never had this experience, and it's not good. And so she's doing that, and then the guy comes in, and it's it's not deadened by, or or if it was, it'd have been horrible if it wasn't. 
he scopes the bladder and mom's just, her eyes are big. She's, she's really enjoying this. And then they go to pull this thing out. And so now everything's going the right direction and it feels like I'm peeing all over the place. (laughs) And I'm so mad at this point that I just say, I I hope I am. I, cause I'm not looking. I, I hope that's what's happening because I'm so irritated by this doctor and how he's misled me on the level of pain that this was amounting to. And it hurts so bad that he leaves and he goes, all right. So or he finishes. He's like, all right, you, you good? And I'm like, I don't, I don't think so. And <laughs> they have to bring the nurse back in with like a fan and like water to give me. Because it oh, was pathetic. I I thought I was going to pass out. It hurt so bad. Have you ever had something hurt so bad you thought you were going to pass out from the pain? Yeah, yeah. That's that's how it was. So anyway, that was my that was my horror story. Now, yeah, that sounds like a horror story. <laughs> it was. Speaking of horror stories, now that nobody's listening, <laughs> Mike's going to hate that intro. I think Mike Petchy is a Boston filmmaker, photographer, and creative director with a contagious enthusiasm for storytelling. With over 20 years experience in the industry, he's made a name for himself by his ability to create immersive cinematic experiences that really transport the audience to another world. His passion for visual storytelling is evident from his award-winning short films to music videos and commercials for brands like Nike, Converse, Reebok. His recent project, 12KM, is a testament to his creativity and willingness to take creative risks the interactive horror films only available to watch by messaging him on instagram allows viewers to shape the story as it unfolds whether he's creating a horror film commercial personal photography project mike's goal is always the same tell a compelling story that resonates with the audience through his work he invites viewers to see the world in a new way and to feel something real and meaningful when he's not creating films, he hosts the successful podcast In Love With The Process, where he gives a no-filtered, honest look at what it takes to walk away from a normal life to chase your dreams. We learned a lot in our conversation with Mike. We talked about the filmmaking process. We talked about the you know, inside baseball of the filmmaking industry, how directing a film is a lot like leading a company and how to bring ideas to reality, whether you are a business owner or an artist. I think you're going to really enjoy this. We had a lot of fun. Mike's a super cool guy and he's got some unique takes. Stick around. My name's Sanger Smith. As always, I'm with my dad, Sean Smith, and this is Decidedly. I think you've ruined all future movies for me. <laughs> how, did, how did he ruin this is all the future only, movies? This is the only way to watch a film, is to watch it and then wake up the next day and talk to the director. Be able to talk. Yeah, I want to be able to talk to yeah. uh, Steven Spielberg next time I watch a movie. And, you know, just, uh. Oh, so that's what happened. Okay, cool. I'm in. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, do, I do have a bitch, though, because yeah. I sent my, oh. <laughs> my, quest, my answers to the question, the favorite horror movie expecting that i would get the link i didn't make the cut well you oh, must have on. sucked no oh, it must have all right all right we'll get into why you didn't make the cut we'll get into oh that. well let's yeah 
I, so I took we, it personally. We got to give we got to give people the the context here. So the way I got connected with you and your work, Mike, was I saw somewhere on Instagram. I don't even know. It was this post that said, "Oh, Mike Petchy made this new awesome horror film called Twelve Kilometers." You got to check it out. But the only way to get it is to DM him your top three horror movies. And if he likes your list, then you'll get the link. It also said you have to compliment his beard. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't like that. Maybe maybe that's why I didn't make the cut. So this is is what I said to Mike. It's not that the beard's not stunning, Mike. It's just that they didn't compliment. It's beautiful. And you might have missed that key component. But I Uh I sent Mike a list of my three movies, and I said, I I only bow to the beard of Christ. Uh, <laughs> but I got the link, man. I'm just, I'm just, you're well, not as cool. Well, as I didn't. Uh, so uh, yeah, right. I was out whenever I saw that, I was like, I'm sure this movie is going to be great, which it was right. And I want to talk about that in a second, but the process of setting it up was in promoting it was incredibly unique. Thanks, man. Yeah. All right. Well, let me start at the beginning and say that This movie was a movie I made back in 2016. And this was a movie that I made never with the intention of it going to the public. This was a proof of concept film for a feature version that as a young director, one of the moves that you can do when you send out a script, whoever's reading that script is seeing it through their own mind's eye. So they may read something and go, this is the Goonies. And as they read it, all they see is the Goonies, like the way the Goonies looks and everything else. And I'm, meanwhile, I'm the guy back at home going, it's not the Goonies. You know what I mean? yeah. So what you try to do, what I do is I do these proof of concept movies that will set tone, atmosphere, vibe. So those go out first. And they're also a great way to get like studio execs to even read your stuff because they love watching things. And especially if it's a short piece, they'll tune in and they'll go, oh, I like this guy's stuff. I like his tone. I like his vibe. Is there a feature here that we can make money off of? And then they go through the process of reading the script, knowing Mm. the vibe. And so uh, initially the movie was made with that in mind. And the movie has already, it already went out for years and did the, the cycle. So like I, I got representation from it and then it went to like Michael Bay's office. It went to Sam Raimi's office and ended up in Ridley Scott's office. And they're the ones developing the feature right now. So this was initially made for that. I have my own podcast and I have fans that have been following my stuff for a while. And I've always joked on my show and other people's shows that I would go and uh, guest on uh, the guests. Uh, most recently I was on the corridor podcast. I think it was, and they loved the movie and they were saying on the show, they said, Hey, uh, how can our fans see the film? And you know, I could be, you know, kind of a, a jerk sometimes. <laughs> so I just said on the show, I go, yeah, if you want to send me your three favorite horror movies. And if I agree with you, eh, I'll send you a link. Just, <laughs> just being a jerk about it. And uh, that caught fire. And some random kid that then wrote to me and sent me his three favorite horror movies. And I would just get a few messages from folks. And so he sent it to me. And of course, uh, the idea is that I'm asking you to engage with me because normally when I screen movies, I stand in the doorway of the movie theater and I meet everybody that comes in. 
Hey, what's going on? I'm Mike. Bum, 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 bum. So I have a personal connection with everybody. And I think yeah. what happens on the internet right now is that you, you make content and you dump it into the sea of mediocrity. Like you throw it up on YouTube and it just disappears and I get nothing from it. Like there's a little ticker on the bottom and it says, Oh, you know, like a couple hundred thousand saw this. I don't know who those people are. I don't, I don't get yeah. it. So in my mind, I was like, that's what I'm doing this for. So I can personally have a connection with these folks. Um, and so this kid did, he, he saw it and he did a post, um, that went on TikTok and Instagram and it caught fire. Like the, just, and it was cause he was genius about it. At the end of it, he wrote, is this pretentious or is this genius? Is yeah. I remember that. Yeah. I didn't have any control of that. So he said that <laughs> and, uh, it caught fire, dude. And so like the next day I had. Uh, a few thousand DMs. And then the day after that, I had a hundred thousand DMs. And so I don't know if you guys use Instagram, but when you're not following people, it ends up in this little box in the corner mm -hmm. and it says 99 plus. And I open it up and I go, holy shit. And so now I'm going through this going, well, I have to answer all these DMs. So first couple of days I would open the box and it would only load about 25 messages. I'd get through and answer 25 and then that page would reload and there was 25 new ones. And I'm like, there's no way Ooh, yeah. I'm going to get through all the stuff. So I didn't see your message. So that's the only reason why you didn't even get the opportunity. Let's, let's go with that. Yeah, all right. Yeah. <laughs> so what were, you, what were your three horror films? What were your choices? You know, that, it was interesting because I like the idea of the exclusivity of the, of the concept. Right. And, and I've been to some bars that that have used that same approach There's a bar in downtown Fort Worth that you have to know the password to get in, you know, that yes. kind of thing. And so I thought that was I thought it was brilliant. And it, it was a little intimidating, though, because I'm like, all right, you know, maybe Mike's going to shit on me, whatever these answers are. You know, <laughs> there's a chance know. that that might happen. Yeah, there's, there's a chance. All right. So I'll give you I'll give you my my yeah. three. And I and I actually wrote out the reasons why I gave you those three. All right. Okay. So the, the first one was, was a garbage movie called the legend of boggy Creek. It mm. came out in like 72. All right. Oh. And the reason I put that down, it, it's, it's just a classic sort of mystery monster movie. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah, the, yeah. You know in, in the, in the vein of a uh, creature from the black lagoon type thing. And the reason I wrote that down is that it was the first movie, scary movie I remember seeing. I was, mm -hmm. I was only like, you know, seven or eight mm -hmm. or something like that. And I shouldn't have seen this movie, but I did. And it just gave me nightmares. The other one was The Fly. Oh, oh and I, which and one? The original or Chrome? All right. So the original one was the one I was thinking about. That was, that actually came out before I was born, but my dad had taken me, had shown it to me somewhere. It like got re-released or something like that. And I was remember that, was the that, scene. Was that Vincent Price? I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah, yeah, yeah something yeah, yeah. like that. Yeah, and we were we were watching it in that scene where he's like turning into the fly. <laughs> you know, he gets in the chamber, and the flies in the chamber, and they swap bodies, and he turns into this fly, and he's sitting there as a fly, and he's just going, "Help me, help me!" <laughs> and I just remember that, and I, and I saw that when I was a little kid, so it just scared the shit out of me. Of course. And uh, and the other was a more recent, although it's still old movie from '94. It was the Blair Witch Project. Mm, and, it was on my list too. And I wrote I wrote that down because I took the kids to the beach, like my kids, and then my nieces and nephews, and so they were like, you know, these seven or eight kids. And I said, oh, you guys want to watch a movie tonight? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, well, this is a this is a true story. It's a documentary 
about this movie that these people found. And, you know, it's a real thing. And they're like, oh, that doesn't sound. I said, you know, just watch it. And so I had them believing it was a true story, you know, and they watched how it was designed to be watched, which is how I wanted everybody to have that experience that the filmmaker Mm -hmm. wanted. Right. Because that was their that was their gimmick. But uh, anyway, so those were my three. And uh, well, dude, I I had decisions. I had reasons why I put all of them. (laughs) Well, great responses. And I would say that you get the reason why I asked the question. So it isn't. I think a lot of folks, the the weird thing, it's it's been a really interesting sort of psychological sort of experiment where people are like, I'm being judged. And first, the the first question is like, what are my tastes? And so then you have to go through the process of trying to figure that out. And then the next one is like, there's this guy who is a director who probably likes more interesting shit than I do. So maybe he's going to judge me on that. And Ultimately, that's not the reason I asked the question. I want to see what your movie experience, what you like from your movie experience. So your answers are, especially with the Blair Witch one, you like to be a part of sort of a scary vibe, sort of like a scary experience. There's no other way to put it. So like, that's why I do it. Like I'm an older brother. And so I love scaring the shit out of (laughs) people. That's that's why I make movies. And so- if you come see one of my movies live, that's what it is. It's I'm I'm spending all this time and money and energy crafting these things to try to genuinely freak you out. And, and, and that's what scary movies are to me. I think they've become something different recently and I can get into all. So what do you mean? Why what do you mean? They become something different. Well, with, with the way that the business currently works, right? Um, with Marvel and all these large tentpole Mm. movies, Mm. everybody, all these production companies or studios rather, they're all chasing the big, the big win. So they're all chasing the big money. And so to get stuff in the cinema right now, it either has to be like dudes running around in underpants, saving the world, or it has to be horror. So like those two things are what are making cash in the cinema. So you've lost a whole genre, a whole few genres of movies for theater, for theatrical. So like no one's financing, you know, $30 million comedies anymore. They're trying to bring them back. Like Burt Kreischer's new movie is trying to bring that back, but no one has been financing those. And then drama sort of fell apart. And uh, the streaming service is kind of, revive that stuff but now everything has to be written to be a series and has to be drawn out to yeah. be a series it's hard it's, to find a movie now you can watch you know i, I, I yeah. find these titles i'm like that sounds interesting and like you know it's got you know three seasons i'm like Kim, i just yeah, want to watch an hour and a half movie it's because i want to get involved in that <laughs> it's just dude subscription-based services it yeah. behooves them for you to stick around time sure. is the commodity for them yeah so uh with horror what i found happening was that they would take a drama that they wanted to make and throw a few scary sequences in that drama or some like scary music in that drama and then mark it as a horror movie. And uh, so now you're seeing, Wait, what are some examples of that? Uh, it's always a risky thing to talk about. I would say there's a piece of me that feels like, uh, this is an unpopular opinion. There's a piece of me that feels like hereditary is that. And uh, okay. like everybody loves hereditary. That was like on most people's lists. So, you know, who cares what I, what I think about it. But when you watch that movie, most of that movie is a family drama. 
yeah. and there are a mm-hmm. couple of sequences without just spoiling it for anybody. There's a couple of intense sequences that happen in it. But kind of, it kind of feels crammed together. And there was another movie that I really think is a great horror movie that I was hanging out with the producers on that I had no idea that was initially a drama and they changed it to be a horror movie in order to get theatrical. Mm. And that was, it follows it follows initially was just a drama. Yeah. And that was changed to be a horror movie. So you're seeing a lot of this now you're seeing a lot of sort of like these, I'm not dogging on these films, but there is a lot of movies that you can tell have been sort of, forced into the genre. And I think a lot of what's been lost in the genre is the fun sort of technique aspect just scares. And so now you're you're getting a whole lot of like reboots and remakes, like, you know, Michael Myers and all that kind mm-hmm. of shit. Um, and you're missing some of the really fun, like old school. So, so how do you, how do you define the, the genre between horror and th- and thriller is, is horror just you know yeah, a movie that's got the jump scares in it and the gore versus a thriller was more psychological or how, how are you seeing the, the difference I, I, i've been getting a lot of crap for this because <laughs> people have watched my movie after i go through the process of doing horror stuff and it doesn't fit a lot of their criteria and they're like your mm-hmm. movie's not a horror and i go yeah it is like for, for me i think the definition for horror is if there's anything that happens within your film if your film is centered around something that is truly scary, something that is truly horrific, that's horror. And so for some people, they- The final scene is extraordinarily horrifying. Oh, oh, what, in my movie? Yeah, in in a way that is not, yeah, it's not a jump scare scene. Yeah. You know, and it's it's a way that you're like, oh gosh, that's not the type of way I felt. That's not the type of horror that I would have expected to experience in seeing any movie. Right. There's the typical like, oh, monster's going to come get you or, mm-hmm. or, you know, you might die or, you know, like that's, I feel like the normal, your life is threatened type horror. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yours, you know, I don't want to spoil anything, but it was, uh, it was different than that. And I, I can see, I kind of thought that as I was watching it, like, well, what is a horror movie? Not that I'm not scared. But yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a good question. What what is it? And But what's a comedy, you know? Does comedy mean you're laughing you know, every 30 seconds or is it? I mean, but you know, like, like if you watch a movie and you're genuinely scared by it, I feel like it has horror elements in it. And I think that the the movie I made has, I guess it's more cosmic horror, which is a lot more cerebral and a lot slower. Like yeah. there's jump scare horror, there's gore horror, there's um, all sorts of different types of horror that exists out there. And I think that like music genres, you have subsets of rock and roll, right? You've Mm -hmm. got subsets of, you know, R&B and you've got subsets of hip hop. Like, is it gangster? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I I think at the end of the day, and then when you actually think about it, they only categorize these movies in order to market them. So you only put genres on films in order, what shelf did I used to put it on in Blockbuster? Does this go in the horror section? Or does this go in the action film section? And what a lot of filmmakers try to do, and what I like to do is crossbreed stuff. So like if you're going to do a horror action movie, that to me is fun. It's got elements of both those those things. Because if you're falling too far into the format, it's predictable. You know what I mean? Like if you're like, all right, this is, 
you know, another ring. <laughs> yeah. Right. Then yeah. you know, you, you know exactly what's happening. Oh, yeah, so this is Japanese horror. This is J horror. Got it. Like that's the category. I know exactly what's happening beat wise. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah. And I then- think that's what makes like the, uh, the superhero movies unfulfilling for me. Yeah. Certainly people like them. Um, but it's like, I know how this is going. Yeah. <laughs> before before I go, you give me a one thirty second trailer. I tell you the whole outcome of the film. Yeah, and, and and the thing that's really tough as a filmmaker is that you want there to be a sense of surprise. You want there to be a journey, but then you also have to process how how it's going to get marketed, right? Because most people don't go thing go don't go see things that they don't understand. Like if there was some like wacky wacky trailer with like a couple of images on it. Um, what's pulling you to go see it? Is it the music? Oh, guess what? They took a Madonna song and they they uh, changed the background beat and made it more symphonic. And now when you're watching the trailer, it, it kicks nostalgia to you. And you're like, well, I think I kind of want to see this movie. What's it about? Mm. I don't know. So like, there are all these tricks to get an audience interested, especially in a modern cinema where there's so much content. Like... There's so much content. So like, how do you even get people to tune in? How do you even get people to, to take the time? Because with social media, you know, everybody's scrolling through something. Like, how do I get you to stop looking at whether or not that last bikini pic you put online got all the traffic you wanted it to? Oh, oh, oh I'm sorry. I have to do some interesting new technique to get your interest in it. So, yeah. You know. How did you, what was your journey like to get started as a director? Um, well, the, 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 the short form to the longer story was that when I was a kid, um, (laughs) I was a terrible student. And so I was grounded consistently. (laughs) Like I was not allowed to watch TV. And so my, my parents, I, and I was one of four kids. So like they would go watch TV and my mom was like, your grades suck. You leave the room. So I ended up reading a lot of comic books when I was younger and that was how I filled my time. And I became enamored with telling a story within a two-dimensional frame. And I was really interested in like the gaps between panels and comic books because comic books do such an interesting job of like conveying energy, but your mind fills in the blanks in between panels. And I was like, that's, that's cool. And so I, I thought I was going to be a comic book artist for a while. And I was trained to do that. And I was taught on how to paint and use all the skills that I had to try to tell stories that way. And then I didn't get into art school. Like my grades were terrible. Um, And I happened to be also working in a music store when I was a kid. And uh, I loved introducing people to new music, new songs and new stuff. And I said, well, maybe I'll do something in the music world. Maybe I'll be a radio DJ. And so I went to a community college for radio and my first show, which was like late, it was like 3 a.m., you know, community access radio show. And the program manager came in and he said, all right, Mike, so at the top of the hour, you play all the CDs that are marked with a blue sticker. And at the bottom of the hour, you play all the CDs that are marked with a red sticker. And I go, why am I here? Like, yeah. What is what is the purpose of this? We could load all these up in, in advance, right? Yeah. Like, what am I doing here? And so I happened to be taking a film course just for credits. And this was, you know late nineties. So YouTube didn't exist. People weren't as enamored with the behind the scenes of like the guy at the gas station couldn't tell you how they did the effects on Jurassic Park yet. And so when I went and watched Blade Runner in this film course for the first time, the professor went, what'd you guys think of the outfits? And I went, Oh shit, someone actually does that. And so it really Mm. opened my mind. And I 
thought about it and I went, ah, oh, man, this is everything I love. This is like everything I love about comic books, but also what I love about music. Um, and I think directing is my path. And uh, I went to an intensive film course in New York, uh, directed three short films and was a cinematographer for six others. And then uh, moved back to Boston after that and started my own production company. And that was 20 something years ago. And I haven't had a real job since. How do you determine which stories you want to tell then, you know, from, from that? I know you're, you're sort of attracted to the horror genre, but how do you, um, you I mean, figure out what stories you want to tell? What, I, what, what you end up doing is like, it takes time for these things to gestate. So it might just be something simple that you hear about. Like with 12KM, I had heard about the actual Russian drill team. That's, that's based on reality. Like there was a Russian drill team in the 70s that started to drill the deepest hole known to man. And, and it was sort of like a space race down into the planet. And I had heard about that uh, from a friend who had heard about it on a podcast or he had read it somewhere. And I read this article on it and I was like, this is a cool idea, but what am I going to do with it? Like I had no idea. So I just wrote it down in a book somewhere and I talked to some people and I just put it away. And that kind of happens with a bunch of different ideas. I may have an idea for a scene. I may have an idea for a theme or even just a moment. And I'll go, man, that's really cool. And now I just learned that I'll just grab a book and I'll just make notes in a book and I'll put it away. Because then what happened later with me with 12KM, I had been running a production company for years and we were doing music videos and commercials. Um, and I had always wanted to do movies, but you get sort of get lost in the game of like, I got to keep this company open and I have to like employ these people. And I got pretty miserable. They sort of hit a point where I'm like, what am I doing? I'm just, you know, paying for my friend's car payment. Like, what, what is the purpose of this? And um, I went on a date um, with this girl who I was friends with and we started to date and, and she's like, I want to go ice skating. And I've never put ice skates on in my life. And, uh, and I said, yeah, let's go do something else. And eventually she came back around to it. She goes, you keep avoiding what I want to do. I'm like, oh, okay. All right, let's go on an ice skate date. Let's do it. And we go to, I don't know if you've ever been to Boston, but there's a big pond yeah. in the center of Boston, Frog Pond. Yeah. We go to Frog Pond and uh, I'm putting blades on my feet <laughs> and I've never done it before. And so, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself like, all right, maybe I'm going to twist an ankle. And so I climb on the ice with her and she's towing me around. Very emasculating, right? So I'm, I'm getting. Are I'm you getting, holding her hand, or you're holding the backside of her sweater? Yeah, <laughs> like a scarf. Yeah. Uh, so she's you have a leash. She's, she's towing me around, and I'm feeling very frustrated. And I say to her, like, "Do me a favor, just skate away, figure your stuff out. I'll figure this out. I'll catch up with you." So she skates off, and there's this like ten year old that's like doing pirouettes around me. And uh, shows up next to me and I, I turn and I look at him and I watch him push off. And I go, all right, I got that. And so I do the same thing. I push, but I slip and my whole body goes stiff. I slip and I go completely back and I land on my skull. And the last thing I hear is an oak barrel crack and I'm out. Oh. And mm. so, yeah, man. And so uh, I wake up to a flashlight in my eyes and there's a doctor looking down on me and the and I'm like, in the moment, I'm going, ah, oh, man, like I broke my leg. I passed out. I've got all this work to do this week. This is the worst. And he looks down at me and he goes, all right, so here's the deal. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. You've cracked your skull. Boom. 
Ooh. you're bleeding internally. There's a hematoma forming on the top of your brain. Um, what we normally do is we drill in to release the pressure, but it's on the main blood vessel on your brain. So if oh we drill God. too deep, you die instantly. And he goes, so what we're going to do is we're going to see if it stops bleeding and uh, you can't go to sleep and uh, you should call your family. And so. This is the worst the, date ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so she's still there with me. She's in the, in the, in the uh, intensive care ward with me. And so <clears throat> we go through the process of, uh, she meets my family f- for the first time that way. <laughs> it's really great. Uh, yeah, it's really great. And so we go through the whole thing. I'm in intensive care for five days. And so because I really can't go fully to sleep and the hematoma is pressing on my brain, I'm starting to hallucinate. I'm, I'm seeing some crazy shit. And as a filmmaker, I'm fascinated by it. And so I have her there with me and I'm like, you got to record this. And so I'm like trying to dictate what I'm going through. And I'm like, the shadows in the room are moving and my inner voice, it's not mine. It's somebody else's. And so I had all this stuff. So I went through intensive care five days, bleeding stopped. The recovery process of the concussion and everything else took five months. And in that period of time, I was incredibly uh, inspired by everything I was going through. And so I'm like, I'm going to write this idea about you not being able to have your, like your inner voice isn't yours. Um, and, uh, it brought me back to the Russian thing. Cause I had to have like an origin story for this creature. And I was like, man, this is ah, that Russian thing I wrote down. Ah, that's cool. And so then I brought that back in and sort of crafted it around that. And so I think that's how ideas work is that you, find something that you find interesting or you hear a story from someone that you find interesting and you just write it down. And when I was younger, I'd try to make those work quick. I'd be like, ah, this is an idea. And you're trying to work on it. And you're like, ah, I can't fucking do it. I can't figure this out. And it's because it needs time to gestate. Mm. Is that, I mean, that makes a lot of sense in the world, right? There's, it removes the pressure of having to create, you know, flawless content immediately after generating an idea uh, and I think that that holds me back a lot of times I'm like oh I have all these ideas and then only am I going to pick the ones that I can execute on tomorrow everything else is goes off somewhere how do you make sure that you pick it up again though you don't like it's weird sometimes I learned this when we were doing music videos for years so music videos is tough you'll get a call from a record label or band and they'll go hey We've got this new album and this new song. We need a video in two weeks. And you're like, what? And they oftentimes will send you some lame ass idea. So they'll send you some breakdown where it's like, this guy comes back from the war and he misses his wife. And you're like, I've seen that a hundred times. And so now you have to listen to the song and connect with this individual and try to come up with something great. What I learned to do was that I would have what I would call an inspiration folder that was on my desktop, which... Anytime I was surfing the internet, anytime I read anything, anytime I had anything that spoke to me, I would put in this folder. So it was always existent there. So whenever I'd have a new idea come in, I would always start by just going through my inspiration folder or going through my notebooks. And so there, whenever you have ideas or have inspirations, it's not about seeing them come. I never look at them as like, this will eventually become something. I always look at them like, this is going to, this is something now in this inspiration folder. That's all it needs to be. 
is a source of inspiration that will trigger something else. Because at the end of the day, I'm not replicating that. It's not that I want to like, it's not like I just saw the new Christopher Nolan movie and I'm like, oh, the reverse fighting is so cool. And so now I'm going to go make a movie that is the same shots of reverse fighting. No, I just understand that that language that he created by that could be used for something else in some other sort of variety. And so I'll just put that away and go like, yeah, think about this. And so then later <laughs> when I crack my skull on the ice again, and then I am in need of a new idea, maybe, you know, maybe that scene will inspire. <laughs> I think that uh, we could do that in our businesses too, is to give it like, a, there's a lot of pressure to get every single thing you could ever do to improve your business in that annual business plan. It's like, oh, let me write everything down. Let me, then, and then we got to do it. And, you know, in my experience is every year we set a thousand different objectives and, you know, it'll be April or it, hell, we won't even make it past February before we realize that we don't even care about that one. Uh, that one, we're not even going to, I'm not even, I didn't even start I, on that. Yet. I have seen some, some business plans like that where they essentially took their, as Mike says, their, their inspiration folder and dumped the whole thing into their business yeah. plan. And there's, no, there's no priority. And I, th I think you've got to figure out and decide what is the idea you want to go with, you know, and, and, you know, I'm sure you've got some great ideas in the, in the inspiration folder. When you, when you look through that, does something, what causes something to jump out at you and say, Oh, I'm, I'm going with this. Uh, is it just sort of an intuition or a gut feel, or is there a more analytical uh, determination on on how you're going to align an idea with the story you want to tell? I mean, it's not very analytical. It shouldn't be. Okay. With anything okay. that you do, especially in my business, everything is reactionary. I was just editing something the other day, and it was making me think of a quote. I'm going to misquote this person, but it was a quote that I vaguely remember from the editor of Dune the latest Dune movie. And so when you're cutting stuff, and I've spent years as an editor, when you're cutting stuff, there's a technical way to edit, right? There's a, you can edit for continuity. So if in a wide shot, my hand moves like this, and in the close-up shot, my hand moves like this, then I'm trying to match the movement between those two things. That's like a very simple way to cut. And if you have that sort of continuity, then the audience isn't distracted. They go, ah, right, he reached for this thing. But, um, if that's the only reason why you cut, your shit's boring. Like, it's just boring. And so what he his quote was, I do stuff until I feel something. And if I feel something, that means the audience is going to feel something. And so that means that I've done it right. So then oftentimes I will do the same thing. I'll go through my entire edit hunting for stuff. And I'll look for footage. And I'll look through everything. I already know where it's all going to go, but I'm looking fresh again. And sometimes I'll play something in reverse. Like you guys are talking about the end of 12 cam. I'm not going to give anything away, but I will say there's a sequence where there's a guy in super slow motion and he's covered with the stuff and he's moving through the air. I cut that stuff first. I went through and was looking at that footage and I was playing it reverse and I was playing it fast forward and I was looking for what made it really interesting. And there was this awesome side effect of him being covered in what they call ultra slime which is this very slimy material. And we were shooting in a very hot studio and we're shooting very slow motion. And so as he's whipping the slime around, it's sort of coming off his hands and it's evaporating instantly. Like it's solidifying in the air because it's warm and it's floating in the air. 
And I remember looking at that in the footage going, that is trippy and that is weird and very scary. And so then I went backwards. So I built that first and went in reverse on that because I, I felt something like it triggered something within me. So You're like, I want to use this. Well, I mean, I want to feel this. I yeah, that's this. what I mean. Yes. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's the same thing with the head injury. Like, I don't want you to go through the process of having a head injury, but I want you to feel Thank what you. it's like. I want you to like go through the process of being like, it's fucking terrifying if I, I don't trust my inner voice. Yeah. You know, so that's what our business is that. Our business is, the, it's smoke and mirrors, but we're trying to convey what we witness as humans in a safe way for you, you know? That's super interesting. So when, one thing that I, I've always thought of, like the director role, obviously I've never played it. I've never been a director of, of any film, play, TV show, anything. It's but overrated. It's <laughs> okay. Why? <laughs> what makes it overrated? Uh, because this is what I talk about on my podcast all the time. Anytime anybody talks about our business, it's always put through like, super shiny Instagram filters. You know what I mean? It's like you always see those pictures of like the guy with a camera on his shoulder leaning up against the Lamborghini and he's like living my best life, hashtag. And it's like I direct on average per year, probably 5% of the year, like physically in front of a or behind a camera okay. doing, the, doing the work. Most of our job is begging, it's pleading, it's business pitching, it's business plan. It's researching. It's it's tons of research and development. It's like um, just forming bonds and relationships and having beers and going places. And and so if at the end of the day, what we want to do as directors is make movies. And if you're going to judge your life based upon how often you're making movies, then it's a failure. Like it's, it really is. And it's depressing. And so one of the reasons why, I don't plug in the show, but one of the reasons why I came up with the the podcast is I wanted to reset my brain after the head injury and go, all right, man, uh, it isn't just about the projects that I've done. It's everything in between that that's important. And that's actually the job is all of this other stuff. The, the space between the comic panels. Yeah. You got it, dude. There yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, you got it. It seems the process of creating, having an idea and then creating it like an actual outcome, an actual product with it. Uh, there's got to be a lot of leadership involved. You know, yep. you're you're leading the sound guy, you're leading the audio team, you're leading the actors, you're leading the costume designers, you're leading the entire process. And sometimes I would imagine you have a very, very, very particular vision that might be difficult to articulate. <laughs> other people are not necessarily <laughs> picking it up in the way that you do because it's already in your brain. You already see it. They can't mm -hmm. just they can't just read your mind. And a lot of times, that's how I feel. As a business owner, it's like, no, I had like, mm, how, what am I doing to not <laughs> get the outcome I want? Well, it's, I'm not communicating. I'm not leading. I'm not describing this process or walking people through it in the way that they need. Yes. Yes. What have yes. you learned on leadership that makes directing um, more of a, of a, like, what is, what is allowing you to implement your vision as a director? Well, it's it's hard, man. That that's the whole job, right? Like, yeah. how often do you hang out with someone that goes, "I had a dream last night," and they start trying to describe a dream to you, and it's the most boring yeah. thing you've ever heard? And you're like, "Please stop talking about this because yes. it's not interesting." That's that's really what we do, 
and I think there's a lot of misconceptions. I think that I hate it when people go, that guy's a genius. Not to me, but like directors. So if they're like, (laughs) (laughs) Stanley Kubrick's a genius. It's like, no, he's not. Like Stanley Kubrick didn't plop out of his mom one day and go, give me a 21 millimeter. Like he wasn't like, like he wasn't born with those skills. He was in in environments in which he was able to learn and develop those skills over a period of time. And so uh, I think one of the most important things that I learned as a, as a leader was to be able to admit that I don't know it all and to be openly, be able to openly admit to my collaborators, like the reason why you're here is because you most likely know more than I do about what this is. And uh, I have cast you to be here to help me when I turn you and go, you know, like, I don't know how to do this. Like, what do we do here? And it's because the amount of things that are required to be an innovator, whether you're talking about a filmmaker or someone that is creating new products, you have to trust, blindly trust your your instincts and your imagination. I don't, I don't know how to fabricate things, like physically don't know how to do stuff. I'm curious about it and I will learn, but setting out like, hey, I want to create this monster out of nothing. What are we going to use? I've heard of 3D printers. How does that work? And so you, you just don't know. And so at the end of the day, you have to have the confidence as a creator to be able to say that to the to your folks around you, like, I need your help. That's why you're here. But you're still the leader. And I'm always saying that whenever you're making a movie, it's like you start a train that is out of control. And the movie is a train that is just barreling in a direction. And you're strapped to the front of this train as a director going, get out of the way, get out. Like you're trying to drive this thing in the right path. And you're trying to keep it on that path. And if you're in the best case scenario, you have a bunch of talented people around you with trays of selections. And they come in and they go, would you like the steak or would you like the hamburger? And you go, ah, this movie needs a hamburger. Would you like lettuce or would you like cheese? Cheese. Boom, 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 boom. And you're the tastemaker. You're driving what this is. I think the big misconception is, is that I know what it's going to be. Yeah. Oftentimes I don't. Oftentimes I know how I want to get started. And that is more interesting to me. Like, so when, when you say you know how you want to get started, what what specifically are you, are you talking about? Are you, are you saying, I, I want to tell the story from this guy's perspective. I want this guy to have a story arc that looks like this. or Could be. Could you know, be. Something... It, is that what you're starting with? Could be. I mean, it could be as simple as like, uh, I'm incredibly inspired by this musician. And I'm like, this guy is going to score the hell out of this movie. And I love his music. And so when I listen to his music, I see certain things and I just want to work with this musician. So let's start there. It could be hmm. that I read something in a newspaper or you know, <laughs> or or saw something online. And I'm like, huh. That's cool. And then you start to process these ideas. And early on with these ideas, typically what I do is I start to talk to my friends and the people around me about them. I'm like, wouldn't it be interesting if this kind of thing happened? And they go, ah, I've seen that before. And you go, ah, right. That's where that came from. Or they go, huh, it would be cool if you did it, but it was something like this and something like that. That's got to be a hard part of the creative process is so many ideas that we have are unconsciously influenced by another idea that somebody else had that we saw when we were a kid or listened to last weekend and forgot about whatever. It's the zeitgeist, man. Like there's so much shit that's out there, 
But, you know, the thing I try to tell myself all the time is, okay, so that's out there, but that's told through that specific person's voice. So can I tell that same general story through my voice? And is my voice interesting? Is it a new way to look at this? And I think that is a, a useful skill to have in the world of like reboots and all that kind of stuff. Because now, now you're like, you hear this all the time. It's from a different voice. It's from a different director's voice. Um, and I think that is interesting to me these days, especially with age. You start to understand that the most valuable commodity that you have sits between your ears. It's that pink fleshy thing that's in there that has been developed with years and years of your personal experiences, like how I handled my my first breakup, how I handled the first death that I had to deal with. Like all of this stuff becomes very valuable. So you can hand a script or an idea to five different filmmakers and this is what changes it, everything for us. Yeah. So, do you think that's the most important thing to get right is that that voice? Having a brain? <laughs> the, the, the <laughs> deciding, in other words, there, there are things that you have to decide. There, there are a, a thousand decisions you have to make as a director. Sure. And you've got to get the, it would seem, you've got to get the first one right. What do you mean? Well, you you were saying... I know where I want to start. I know what I want to do. I want I want to connect this music. I want to uh, find this person's story arc. I you know I I want to have an expression of my voice. All right. I mean, you're starting from someplace, right? Mm-hmm. Or am I or am I missing that? And, and no, if so, you are. yeah. What what's the most important thing that you think you have to get right that would separate from the let, let's say successful directors from those that that just aren't. Well, I mean, it's a, it's a hard question, right? Because the, it doesn't matter how good you are as a director, this business is so volatile and there's so many variables. I mean, that's why it's uncanny to me. I think that's the big issue with like commerce and in the creative side of this business is that commerce wants it to be a, a formula. They want to say, I get David Fincher, uh, we do political dramas, And we put them in the room together and it's just, well, let's pound these things out. It's like making sneakers, right? But there are so many variables in there that are going to alter that all the way down to like your initial thought process on it. And so it's like, (laughs) you remember that there was some commercial years ago where these people come into a boardroom, like ad executives and they're like talking to the marketing team they go, yeah, so we've got an idea. So, um, one, we create a viral video. <laughs> Two, yeah. they're like, what? You, you, you do what? <laughs> it's like the Steve Martin joke: How do you become a millionaire? First, get a million dollars. Yeah, yeah, it yeah, was, yeah, and yeah. So it was a. It revealed how certain people think, and those those people have a very uh, valued position, which is to you know essentially make sure that the ship doesn't sail into an iceberg. Right, make mm-hmm. sure that this whole effort can continue to make money uh, and be profitable and operationally is remain sound. Um, but they're not the creative people and they're not, they're not coming up with new ideas. And so they want a formula. You can't create a formula for every single thing. Otherwise it loses its, its beauty, right? If there's too much order, then there's zero chaos. And, and the beauty in life comes between blending and balancing order and chaos. I think that like a lot of what you say in the creative process speaks to me, not because I'm an artist, but because I try to, I think that 
starting a business and running a business, creating an idea out of, or something out of only an idea, that mm-hmm. is an artistic process in a way. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like it as a, as dude, a business dude, it owner. is though. It is. It's, it's a creative process. Though. It's very much a creative process. And I try to approach my role as an advisor as I, I, it's equal part scientists, equal parts artists. Sometimes, you know, if I approach it robotically, I'm not going to be successful and I'm going to miss the humanity of the person who's standing in front of me. A lot of times people will talk to me. They'll say, you know, what should I do? I go, here's your textbooks. Here's what I would recommend if you're a robot. Here's what I recommend since I know you, Mike. (laughs) And that's like, that's the art side of it. Um, You know, the people who start businesses and people who are artists, artists, both rate highly in trait openness where people who run, you know, a multi-million dollar, multi-billion dollar companies and people who run the, you know, finance arm of the Hollywood machine, they don't rate high in openness, but they have other skills. Yeah. And you need those skills. I mean, I we get a, there's a lot of glorification in creativity. And I, I think it's important to always be imaginative. And I think there's a hundred different ways to, to do it. And when I'm not making movies, I'm cooking because it has that same level of creativity for me. Um, but I also, every time we start an, a new thing, it's a new business. Like I'm, I'm, I'm setting up new budgets. I'm setting up all this new stuff for yeah. each and every project I do. And and so my biggest issue is that I'm, I'm constantly internally, I just talked about this this morning. I'm internally in a fight between the producer brain and the creative brain. And as a creative director, I'm just like, no, I don't give a shit how long it takes. We got to get this right. And then there's the other side of me that's like, eh, I convinced this guy to let me shoot. <laughs> We're out of money. Like, yeah. yeah. You know, <laughs> it, 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 that's the drama. But they both need each other. I think that if we, if I existed in a world that didn't have the reality side, then I would ju- never finish anything. I just, be- I, I, I heard a, uh, a friend of mine say, it was a great line years ago. He, he said that when you get over-resourced, you lose creativity. Yeah. And, you know, and I noticed that in businesses or, you know, people that, that have plenty of money, they don't have to get creative. Mm. They don't have to figure things out because they're just like, Oh, we'll just buy well, another what you, thing. What you know, do you do about person. that? Then you, you get your, creative, throw your money away. I mean, no, you just you just go into it with some caution, with some filter to say, maybe I, I I don't just buy my way out of this. Maybe I look at ways that are solution that are not uh, just throw money at the problem. Well, I mean, to give you an example of what we do, like there's oftentimes I like to set parameters. So I like to set a fence around what I what it is that I play in. So that parameter may be, all right, I have to shoot this in two days. That parameter may be, um, I have to use one actor, two actors. That parameter may be budgetary. And then, so now that I know that that's my parameters, within that, there are a million different ways that I can make it cool and make it interesting. And I have those walls to bounce off of. So I could push myself to a certain limit and go, but I've only got one actor. So Mm. how do I tell the same thing that I was going to tell with five actors with one actor? And then how do I do all this in one location instead of three locations. So what ends up happening, and this is a question I get asked by a lot of young filmmakers that listen to my show. They're always like, how do you develop your personal style? You have a style. And what happens over time after you work long enough, people recognize your style. Like if you saw my next movie after seeing 12 Cam, you'd go, this is one of Mike's movies. Now, it's not like I was born with this style. It's not like I 
specifically set out to make the style. And what's even more interesting is that the interesting stuff that makes up what my style is, is from screw-ups. It's from mess-ups. So I have been attempting to try to create something in the the light of another filmmaker or another film that I liked, and I just don't have the resources. Well, you, the you're the one that leaves them in and makes that, you know, that artistic decision to keep that in the film and go, oh, this is cool. You know, right. and it. then I, you I, adjust it. And yeah, then the I, process of adjusting it makes it your own personal style. I, I think most good filmmakers have a voice. You know, you look at, I, I can tell a Tim Burton movie right out of the gate. I can tell a Wes Anderson movie right out of the gate. You know, there's, so there's some that, that have that voice. I think you have to, you know, and, and I think, you know, even in business, you know, you've got to figure out what your voice is, you know, yeah. to be able to make decisions based on that authenticity. I like what you were saying earlier about starting with the, you know, you knowing that something needs to be said. That's what I hear from like a lot of writers. Yeah, I write this idea down. I don't know what I'm going to write. I don't know how this book's going to end. I don't know how this poem's going to end. I don't know how this, what this song is even necessarily about, but I know that that line was awesome. And I got to write that and then keep going. And, and that's, that's in some way how I approach businesses. I know there's something I'm aiming at and I'm not going to figure out the the next 10 years worth of business plans right now <laughs> but i'm gonna figure out that i'm aiming in this general direction because it's it speaks as authentic truth to me and um if i can pursue that then i'll figure out the, the lines in between you know i'll figure out how it ends i'll figure out the i'll figure out the budget somewhere along the way i'll figure out the bit i'll figure out who i need to hire somewhere along the way yep. you can't operate shooting from the hip forever right but I think a lot of times people, um, they exist in the valley of indecision for indefinitely because they think they have to have all the answers before they start, right? They think they have to know how the movie's going to end before they start writing the screenplay. Yeah, dude. Or you think that the best case scenario has to happen before you get going. Like, oh, this is such a good idea and I have to make sure that I have the right money or I have to make sure I have all... It never happens. Like, you, you'll you sit around forever waiting for the, the elements to, to form the way that you think you're supposed yeah. to form in your brain. It just never fucking happens. And there's so many friends of mine that are so afraid of failing mm-hmm. that they're, they're like, I, I'm not going to get started until... I have more time and I have more experience. And it's just like, well, yeah, but doing it and oftentimes failing is what makes you successful. Like you yes. have to go through the process. Mm-hmm. Of doing it. Yeah. If I wanted to know the exact right path forward, I would try infinitely until I found the answer. Can't yeah. try infinitely. So I might yeah. as well try one. Usually with big things, there's never the perfect time. You know, it's like with having kids, there's never a great time to have kids. There's never a great time. Just like, oh, I'm going to start, you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to run a marathon. You know, I've got to start training and, you know, you just have I'm to get in shape to, before I start training. Right. I get, I'm, I'm, <laughs> once, I'm a, I, once I lose weight, then once I'll, I lose 30 pounds, yeah. then I'll do it. Right. No, you just got to start. You know? Right. Yeah. A friend of mine, uh, he recently started his business um, just like a couple weeks ago and he would for months call me and say, oh man, this, this, this effing job I got, uh, this boss. Uh, uh, and I was like, well, you told me you have this idea that you want to start. Well, yeah, I'm going to, but. I'm going to, but, and he always had some reason, you know, it was, well, this is going on at work or I got to find this. I got to figure out who I'm going to hire. I got to think. And I was like, dude, you're working 60 hours a week for someone else. You can't figure out all the answers to how your business is going to work because you're burning 60 hours of, of brain power every single week on something other than your business. 
Yep. And so finally I started to, every time he would call me, you were just giving him a hard time. I was you? just like, yeah, cool, man, whatever. When are you, so when are you doing it? When are you doing it? When are you yep. doing it? And yep. finally he did. And I think every single day for the past two weeks, he's called me and go, dude, you're not going to freaking believe it. This happened. Oh, I figured this out. Oh, I just had this idea. I was like, yeah, man, you weren't going to, that none of that was going to happen as long as you were waiting for it to all fall together. Yeah. And dude, I learn more from my failures than I do from my successes. So when you do something successful, people are like, great job. (laughs) And, you know, but when you, when you fail, you see the emails that I get from people that are just like, you're an arrogant blah, 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 because of the stuff I'm doing with 12 KM and I'm, or they'll watch my movie and they go, I hated it. Blah, 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 blah. So like, I'm, I'm always looking at negative stuff. Almost as hard as I'm looking at the positive you, stuff. How do you deal with you know? So in the business that Sanger and I are in, it's it's a very private advice giving business. We're talking to people about their money and their investments and their goals, and so it usually doesn't leave the family, right? Uh, in your business, you're putting it out there for public consumption, and, and you, you're going to get what you hope is mostly positive feedback. But there's always those assholes who are like, oh, "This is crap." You know, how do you well, deal with that? I love that it. Would man. destroy me. No, dude. So here's. Here's what I, there's a couple things to learn from it. Whenever I look at negative reviews, I'm always reading it because they're always very passionate, right? So if someone watches something that they thought it was going to be a certain way and it wasn't a certain way, or if it doesn't align with their life ideas as a character, they get real passionate about it. And so you'll, (laughs) you'll have people like, you know, you know, trying to write to your mom to tell her never to have you in the, like in the past, you know what I mean? So like, I, I find it fascinating. And so when I read a negative review, what I do is I, I generally, I look at it from a bird's eye perspective first. Can this person use good grammar? And are they are they going crazy with their grammar because they're emotional? Or are they going crazy with their grammar because they've never bothered to learn grammar? I get that. I barely know how to use grammar. So I read that first, right? And I go, all right, here's the, where's the perspective of this guy? And it's like, all right, he was upset because this wasn't in the movie. He didn't think that there were enough jump scares in the movie. Roger that. And if it's someone that wrote to me and sent me their three favorite horror movies, I'll look at what their three favorite horror movies are and go, I got it. Scream, this, that, this. I got it. But oftentimes when I look at it, it's the same reason why I like to watch movies in the theater. There's this weird thing that happens where I don't understand the, uh, the science behind it. But if I play you a piece that I'm doing, with you guys in the room with me, you guys don't have to say anything. I'm not even paying attention to you. Suddenly, I see it through your eyes. It's this strange thing that happens. Mm. So whenever I watch something that I've been working on for a long time, you get hung up on details like, oh, the cut's right and the colors are right. I'll sit and I'll watch it with the two of you and I'll feel it. I'll go, ah, fuck, that's wrong and this is wrong and that's wrong. Just from observing it with you. And if I can't get that, I'll also get that from negative feedback. I'll go through the negative feedback and go like, all right, there's been enough people that have complained about this music cue that I maybe, thought- Maybe these people have something here. You like know. There's consensus. Here. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was really great. So I think that's cool, but I put them out there. <laughs> I put them out there because negativity sells. And so these people, I always joke with them. They're like, you should never make movies again. They do these posts. And I say, I screen grab them and I post them. And they go up and they go, well, why are you posting it? And I'm like, because I posted two comments on on Instagram. And here's how the algorithm works. I posted a really positive comment 
and I now have like 75,000 people or something, I post a positive comment, Instagram decides that 5,000 people, not even 2,000 people get to see that post. Okay. That's what you decided? Algorithm? Okay. I post a negative comment, Instagram decides 45,000 people see that comment. And and then what happens is there is an internal battle now that you now that I've got fans that that are supportive I don't have to say anything the fans will yeah. jump in there and they'll go you don't know Bob you suck that, Mike's awesome and then that thing starts <laughs> right. to roll even further oh that's great and that's it's great. just it's fun and and for most people that leave negative things they never really expect to hear from the director and I I will comment so like I will someone will post <laughs> someone will post like this guy's just doing it for this and he's doing it for the money. And I'll just write underneath. I'll go, what do you mean? And as soon as they see the director (laughs) writes, what do you mean? It changes everything. I had one guy go, I never want to see this movie. I go, are you sure? And I just write that (laughs) underneath. And he goes, oh my God. Yeah, I'd actually love to see this movie. And then he ends up being a guy that really loves to film. So that's so funny. funny. Yeah. As soon as you shine the light on the negativity, people like they they have to reconcile with your humanity a little bit. Yeah, we had There's a Kevin uh, Kevin Holland. He's um, a UFC fighter. Mm -hmm. He is, uh, he just loves to talk shit. And all of his fights, I mean, he just talks while the guys, the guy could be kicking his ass. He could be kicking the other guy's ass. Doesn't matter. He's going to talk. And so for that, like he gets maybe even a little bit more hate than other people. Although mm-hmm. he is generally like a very well liked fighter. Anytime he gets a hate comment, the guy responds. Like <laughs> anytime, <laughs> anytime he gets a hate comment and he doesn't ever respond. Like he doesn't really respond with hate. He doesn't really respond with love. He's just like, oh man, no way. Like I suck. Oh, damn. i love those man they're so fun they're so much fun because and i think a lot of people forget that the internet's not a void and so like when you're putting things out there someone's listening and there are a lot of we live in a weird time frame right now where there really aren't movie stars anymore there was a period of time where like you would look at like the bruce willis's you would look at the arnold schwarzenegger you'd go back and look at the Cary grant's you look at these people who were movie stars. They were elevated. You could never get in touch with them. You could never meet them. And if maybe you would stand outside of a premiere or some club that they were at and you'd go, Bruce, and maybe you could sign my t-shirt. That was the only exchange that you would have with these people. But now with social media, you can literally write to anybody. Yeah. And chances are, because everybody's they addicted. Might see it. Yeah. Most likely, dude, I was just yeah. on set with an actress yesterday who was scrolling through looking at social media all day. So they they are seeing this stuff. And so it's a weird place that we're in right now where you can communicate with these people. And a lot of it gets real toxic. A lot of it is jealousy-based. A lot of it is anger-based. Um, but there are also like really solid, supportive people out there that want to feel connected to the work and want yeah. to feel connected to the community. And that's been the big solid byproduct of releasing 12 Cam this way is now there's a diehard community of people that are writing to me all the time. Hey, I saw this movie. Have you seen this movie? Hey, uh, my friend just made this film. What do you think of this film? Um, what are you doing next? What, what's happening next? So uh, the excitement that you guys felt when you wanted to send me your list that continues. And I think that there's a reason why I've spent, dude, I've, I've written like 50, 60,000 DMs since November 
Like there's a reason why I've gone through the long process of this is that I feel like the community that's building around it will then support the work that comes next for it. So I'm excited to be a part of that community and hear what you're doing next. Yeah, Yeah. he's not going to. So I don't what, even think what, I could find your DM that I didn't no, answer. No, <laughs> expect a link though. <laughs> what is next for you, Mike? Um, well, I got a couple things going on. Like, um, so Twelve uh, Cam has a feature script that is being developed right now, and it is with Ridley Scott's company, which is crazy. Scott Free. Um, I have another movie called uh, Who's There, which is in development, which is another feature. I have a short for that that I had was very similarly a proof of concept short that never got released to the public. I may do another release online where you, I don't know what the, the thing will be yet, but we'll figure that out. Um, and then I just finished shooting while this weekend and my last two days of shooting on a new piece that uh, is really cool and very scary and cerebral too. So, um, and then my girlfriend, so the girl that took me on the date and tried to kill me, uh, we're still together. We've been together. She kind of had to stick with no, you. She, she couldn't leave right away. <laughs> she couldn't <laughs> leave. No. Yeah, that's probably a 30 me, like, day you can't it. leave at least. Oh, that's a yeah, that's a solid month. Pity yeah, that's a month of pity stay with you. Yeah, you can't leave yeah. right after that. Yeah. Well, I mean, my favorite part is, is that I still have that card. So whenever she wants to do something that I really don't want to do, I go, ah, sounds like ice skating. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, you got to play that man. for that's sure. For sure. We've, we've been together <laughs> hey, Mike, for before, before we. Before we let you go, you got to answer the question that you put out there. I'm sure you've been asked, what are your three movies that you uh, that you would answer on your favorite three horror movies? Well, they rotate. I, the ones that, that stay at the top for me all the time is Alien. So Alien, Ridley Scott's mm-hmm. Alien, I think is a perfect, perfect horror movie. Uh, the Thing, John Carpenter's The Thing is another one that, I, like you were talking about movies that influenced you when you were a kid. I saw yeah. that when I was a kid and it blew my mind. Yeah. Um, and the third one I rotate consistently. Sometimes it's got newer ones on it. Sometimes it's got older ones on it. Uh, today, I would say uh, Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds would be my third one today. Nice. Uh, it's yeah, a classic. Tippy Hedren in it. Nice. Even though the actress. On The Thing, are you talking about the original one or the uh, the one with uh, Kurt Russell? So the, the one with Kurt Russell. The original one is fantastic. And the reason to watch the original one is for that fire scene that happens in it where the guy dresses the monster comes in the room. I don't know how they did it. Guy dresses the monster comes in the room and an actor has a bucket of kerosene and another actor has a torch and they throw kerosene on the stuntman, which splashes all over the room. They light it on fire and an actor has to cover themselves with a mattress to not burn to death. And that happens in that movie. So it is worth watching specifically for that scene. But no, John Carpenter's the thing, which is the one with Kurt nice, Russell. Nice, nice. So, where can people connect with you on uh, on your movie and uh, and and see it? Well, you can try to write me a DM <laughs> with your three favorite horror movies at Mike Petchy uh, on uh, Instagram. Um, you can uh, check out trailers for my movies at mikepetchy.com. Do people even go to websites anymore? But at mikepetchy.com, you can go there um, and. Uh, you know, listen to my podcasts in love with the process. What I try to do on my show is like on episodes, I'll release a password on an episode of the show for the people that I didn't get to the DMs on. So they can also get to be able to see 12 cam by listening to the podcast, which is about filmmaking. It's about barbecue. It's about 
rock stars. It's basically a show in which I talk to whoever I want to become friends with. So that sounds like no, exactly too. what we're doing. Us too. <laughs> yeah, man. Super cool, man. Well, um, love the movie. Love talking with you. I learned a lot. Thanks, man. Thanks so much for your time and um, I'm excited to see what you do next. Thanks a lot, Mike. Thank you, guys. It was a lot of fun chatting. That was a fun conversation with Mike. I really, really enjoyed talking with him. It's fascinating talking with somebody who makes movies for a living because it's so different from what we do, and yet we can be creative in a different way. My takeaway from the discussion is really around making a decision to start an endeavor that even if you're uncertain about it, you have to decide at some point, even though you're not ready, to start and to start during that creative process to start with your authentic voice and and being true to how you want to approach that and being consistent with what that voice is and finding it and letting that come through the work that you're doing creatively. Yeah. I like what you said about how it's so different, but it is so similar to filmmaking. We were able to draw a lot of analogies to how we work in our own lives and businesses. My takeaway from our conversation with Mike is giving yourself the freedom to set an idea down. He talked about his inspiration folder, how he revisits that when he needs inspiration. A lot of times I feel like if I don't create an immediate action plan to execute on an idea that I have, that I've wasted an opportunity. And sometimes I'm not at the point in my life or business to be able to execute on all 20 ideas I just had on a random Thursday. I need to write them all down and pick the ones that I can or want to execute on today and then revisit it later when I need to set my quarterly targets or revamp the business plan or when things change. You just made a great decision to listen to this episode of Decidedly. Make another great decision and leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate your support. It helps others find our community and defeat bad decision-making in their own lives. For more daily decision-making insights, check us out at decidedlypodcast.com and on Facebook and Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. Thanks again for listening. I'm Sanger Smith, and this is Decidedly. Insights, advice, and comments provided by Sean Smith, Sanger Smith, and speakers identified as part of the Decidedly Podcast should not be considered recommendations. Speakers not identified as members of Decidedly are expressing their opinion, and their statements should not be construed as reflecting the views of the Decidedly team. This podcast is produced solely for informational purposes, not personalized advice.